God has a bigger hand than you. And you reach into your cup and give Him something. Well, God's going to reach into His cup. and He's got a bigger hand. And He's going to give it back to you. Psalm 23. What a wonderful psalm it is. And it's probably the most well-known psalm. I don't know uh, what's more well-known, Psalm 23 or John 3.16, but they're both good. Hey, it's all good. Let's say that. It's all good, cover to cover. But Psalm 23 holds a special place in many hearts. Uh, Psalm 23 has been used to comfort so many millions of people uh, in their hour of need and uh, going through the valley of the shadow of, uh, of darkness. Um, we do not have time to look at the whole psalm. That's not our purpose today. Our purpose is to look at one verse. And I'm going to refer you to, refer you to that in just a moment. But I do want to say this first. If you're fairly new here at the church, you haven't been coming for too long, or maybe if today uh, is your first time, I just want to let you know <clears throat> there are two times in the year that we, we do some teaching and preaching on the subject of money. The Bible has a lot to say on the subject of finances, a lot. And if more of us would order our finances the way God says to do it, we'd have far less difficulty. A lot of people today, they don't see a problem with debt, living in debt with credit cards and things like that. They don't see a problem with it. You know, God does. And God's perfect will is for us to live in the black, not in the red. His perfect will is for us to be debt-free. Uh, but anyhow, twice a year I speak on the subject of money. Uh, one, one time is around Sacrifice Sunday. So that's going to be in one week. So that's why I'm speaking on that subject today. And the second time is in November at our Faith Promise when we look to get the gospel into all of the world and support more missionaries, and we teach about what God says on faith giving. Now, some people have thought that all I ever do is uh, talk about money. But I kind of think that these people only come to our church twice a year. You figure it out. If you only came to our church twice a year, you might think Pastor White, oh, it's all he ever preaches about is money. But hey, there are 50 other weeks in the year. So anyhow, just a little forewarning there that it's not all what I preach on. Although there is a lot in the Bible on finance. And some Christian men have felt called of God to share these principles with churches and God's people uh, they do that as a ministry and they go from church to church teaching God's principles and how to get out of debt and how to stay debt-free and how to honor God. Now sometimes you hear people say that they truly wish they could do more for the cause of the gospel and for the Lord's work. And sometimes you hear them say, you know, one day when my ship comes in, now you know what they mean by that, right? They, they think that, that there's this big steamboat load of gold that is going to come their way one day. Maybe one day when they get that big raise. One day when Uncle Zeke finally kicks the bucket and they get their inheritance or something. 
But they have this thing in mind, one day, one day, one day when my ship comes in, boy, then I'm really going to do something great for the Lord. You hear that. And then once in a while you hear about someone who doesn't have any ship coming in, and yet they always seem to be able to be doing some great things for the Lord. And you wonder, how can they do that? Their ship hasn't come in. I wonder if they even have a ship. Well, folks, we have something better than that. We have a promise of God. The secret to being able to give to the Lord's work. The secret is in the overflow of our cup. Now, if you would look, please, at Psalm 23 and verse number 5. Thou preparest a table before me. See what God does for us. Thou anointest my head with oil. More what God does for us. Blessings. My cup runneth over. There's another blessing that God does. My cup runneth over. And so today, if you listen carefully, I want to give you the secret of the cup. The overflow of my cup. First, let's have a word of prayer now together. Dear loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you bless us over and over. Just in the one verse, dear Father, you've told us about three ways in which you bless us. And there's many more ways as well. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you, you're not stingy. Thank you that you, you don't give begrudgingly. Thank you that you, you give with joy. And you give good gifts. And Lord, help us to be appreciative every day. And not just for money, but for health. Maybe we don't have as robust a health as we used to years ago, but we still have health. Thank you that we have a place to call our home a roof over our head, whether we own it or the bank owns it or the landlord owns it, it's for us, it's home. Thank you for many, many other blessings that many in the world today would do anything, give anything to have. And help us to remember that all the glory goes to God. So please bless us today and open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to learn this important secret because it's something you want all your children to know. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I understand Psalm 23, verse 5 correctly, every one of us have a cup. My cup overfloweth. It runneth over. Um, God has given us all a cup. We would say something where we can receive and hold the blessings. That's the idea of a cup. Now, maybe you don't like the word cup. Maybe you say, well, I'd rather use the word life, my life. My life, I in my life I receive and I hold the blessings of God. And that's fine too. But either way, some people have a larger cup, which means that they have greater need and greater responsibilities and they need more in their cup. And there are definitely people who... Um, they, they need a lot of, of money and food every day. Uh, they've got a large family, and they, need, they, they have a big cup, and they need it filled. Others have a smaller cup. Maybe someone might live by themselves, and they have very, very few needs, and so their cup is much smaller, isn't it? But we all have a cup, big or small. We all seem to have it. Now, once in a while, our cup appears to be very full. And when our cup appears to be very full, 
then we feel generous. It's easy for us to be able to give because we say, look, look how God is blessed with a nice full cup. It doesn't always happen though, does it? Oftentimes the cup doesn't seem quite full. Maybe it's half full or even less. And we look at the cup and we say, not much there. And so we don't feel as generous. We wish we could be more generous. That's when we start saying, well, when my ship comes in, I get my cup filled up here, you know, boy, I'm really going to do something for the Lord. Well, the question I have for you is whether your cup is full or whether, you're, whether it's almost empty, how would you like to have a cup that frequently overflows? Now, I'm not saying that always overflows because I don't believe that that's God's perfect will for any of us. The Apostle Paul himself, he said, there are times he said, I know how to abound and, and I know how to be in need. And so there's going to be times when you and I are called upon to uh, suffer need and there's going to be times when you and I are called upon to, to suffer plenty. <laughs> Say, I like the plenty. <laughs> Can I have the plenty? If God wants you to have it. But I do believe that in your cup, big or small or whatever is in your cup, you can have a cup that oftentimes overflows. And I'm going to show that to you from the scriptures today. And this is very important. Um, the secret is the overflow. My cup runneth over. So it's the overflow of my cup. And when my cup is overflowing, boy, is it ever easy to be able to give. You say, well, that sounds great, but, but, how do you get the cup to overflow? Many of us run around with cups that are half empty or three quarters empty, and we say, well, that's, that's me, that's normal. Well, that's fine. I'll tell you something. I believe that if you have a cup that's half or less than half, that God might actually be excited because you see, then He'll get the glory. If you ran around all day with a cup that's always full, who gets the glory from when you, you give and support Christian work and the cause of the gospel? Well, the finger tends to come back to self. But when you have a cup that isn't full and God makes it to overflow, well, you can see God will get the glory. And what a testimony. And that'll increase your faith. And God will use that to bless others. And many other things that God will do with that. But the secret is the overflow. Now, you might wonder, well, Pastor, it sounds good, but is it even possible? I believe it is, folks. I'd like to direct your attention to the New Testament. Go there now with me, please, to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, while you're turning there, guys in the back there, how's the temperature doing? Feels a wee bit on the warm side. Yeah, maybe you can just, I don't know, do something. A lot of us in the house of the Lord today. Isn't it nice to be in church today, amen? Yeah, you don't have to watch from home. You can come and be here. And you know what? We got a lot of chairs as well. And so if we have a bit of an overflow, we've got a lot of chairs. We can handle a lot more people. This building can handle 300 people. Whew. Imagine that. I don't think it's ever seen 300. 
We've seen well over 200, though. So anyhow, we're in Ephesians chapter 3, and I want you to read this verse out loud with me. It's verse number 20, number 20, and I want you to read it and let your faith grow. Let's read it together. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That power is faith and the Holy Spirit. And God not only says here that he is able to do above all we can ask or think, but he says abundantly above all we can ask or think. And if that weren't enough, he says exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. And so you ask me, is it possible for my near empty cup to overflow? And I say, yes, it is, according to the power that worketh in us. The Holy Spirit and our faith. That's where the power comes from, folks. And I'm going to show that to you today. Now, I do believe that this is the secret behind the, the power of Christian giving. It's always been God through us. Whenever we are able to, to do things in our own strength, God doesn't get the glory. You know, the price of land is very expensive. Coming into, uh, into church today, I saw a sign, 48 acres for sale off 152 well how many millions and millions do you think they're asking for that well supposing all of us here were multimillionaires, every one of us we just take out our checkbook and we say okay i'll give two i'll give two you give two i'll give two all god's children give two before you know it we we've got a hundred million dollars buy that land put up buildings galore but who gets the glory we do Say, where would all that land and building come from? Uh, from us. We paid for it. Whereas a church that's, you know, a little on the broke side, where would that come from? God. How that happened? The Lord. See, that's what we want. And God, I think, purposely sees to it that our cup is often half full, quarter full, so that we feel the need, so that we know we're not much. So that if anything is going to happen, it's going to have to be God through us. And that's the secret here. The overflow of my cup is only done by God. It's not me going out and getting five and six jobs so that I can you know, work 24 hours a day and be able to give all of this money. It's nothing of that sort. It's God blessing my little cup so that all of a sudden my cup runneth over. Wow, look at that. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Now I'm able to, to do something for his honor, for his glory. So this is the, the idea. Now, with that in mind, I'd like you to turn to the right, to 2 Corinthians. No, I'm sorry, to the left. I think I said right. Turn to the left. Well, if you want to turn to the right, go ahead. But the rest of us will turn to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is very important. These verses, and we teach them uh, during faith promise for missions. But I want you to see that the truth is the truth, whether for faith promise or a sacrifice Sunday or whatever. Because I know that some of us are thinking, well, sacrifice Sunday is coming and I'd like to be able to do something, but my cup is only a quarter full or half full and I don't think I can do anything. And that's a common thought. 
that was what was running through our heads many, many years ago when we first started Sacrifice Sunday. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read a couple of verses. Follow with me, starting at verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, now that means you're going to give a tiny bit, shall reap also sparingly. You will get something, but it'll be according to what you give, right? It'll be a little. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. We call this the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. What you sow, you will reap. I didn't invent this. These aren't my words. This is God's promise. Now the next verse. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now this is important. Not grudgingly. Don't ever give because you feel like, all right, here you go. Don't ever give like that. God's not interested in that. Keep the money. God's not interested. But you won't get God's blessing either. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You do that by faith. By the way, if you've never given to God, you don't know what it's like. You don't know the joy. You don't know the, the wonderful blessings that God gives back. And he'll make it appear out of nowhere. All of a sudden, something will come in the mail. Or someone will come up to you and say, Hey, I owed you this money, you know, I don't know if you're... Oh, I totally forgot. Yeah, here's the money. Here's a little interest too. Thank you for being patient. God gives blessings. And he loves to do it in surprising ways. But the principle is true. It's true today as ever. You sow a little, you'll reap a little. You sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. That's God's promise. He has put his stamp of approval on it. So, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. You say, grace? Yeah, that's God's divine resources. That's everything that you might need. It's in God's grace. And he's able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, Now look at the next words. Read them out loud with me, please. May abound to every good work. See, what God wants to do is He wants to look after your needs and give you more so that you're able to use the more to serve Him. If I said to you, um, are you getting your needs met? And you said, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm getting them met. I'm paying my bills and so on. And if I said to you, What would you do with an extra $1,000 if all of a sudden God gave you $1,000? What would you do? Some people would say, well, I'd go run out and buy something new. I'd treat myself to this or I'd go on uh, one of these vacations or something like that. And they got some idea what they would do with the money. But maybe that's not God's reason for giving it. And maybe that's why God doesn't give it as much. I've noticed that men and women who seem to be big givers... It's because God can trust them with the money. Why don't we give large amounts of money to our children? Why don't we do that? What would the children do with the money? Okay, A 10-year-old. You have a 10-year-old? Anyone here have a 10-year-old? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Shame, shy. No 10-year-olds. Okay. Nine? Nine? One? Okay, here we go. A couple of nine-year-olds. They're good. Let's, let's use the nine-year-olds. Okay? 
And you go to your nine-year-old and you say, sweetheart, I just love you. Here's $5,000. Now, they wouldn't quite understand maybe the enormity of that, but once it's sunk in, what would they do with the money? You probably have an idea, right? To the toy store, to the candy store, to the video store. You know, that's what they do with it. Many, many years ago, uh, my wife and I knew a young gal. Her parents were quite wealthy. And they thought, for her protection, we're going to give her a credit card of her own. And uh, this is going back into the 90s when we knew her, back in the 1990s. $5,000 credit card. 5000 was worth more then than it is now. Uh, so anyhow, they gave her a, a credit card. Honey, use this for emergencies. Okay, Mom. Okay, Dad. And she put it in her purse. Well, she went, um, I think she went, we were living in the city of Ottawa. I think she went to Toronto for the weekend with her, her friends and uh, left on a Saturday morning, got back on a Sunday night or something like that. She maxed out that 5000 It was all gone. All of it. All gone. And that's not an unusual story. Some people, when they're given a credit card, you know, people have financial problems, so they go and see a finance company and, and the finance company, they say, okay, I'm going to consolidate your debts here. I'm going to get you all fixed up here. And we'll even throw in a credit card just for emergencies. And what happens? Oftentimes, they're so thankful they get all of their debts consolidated down to one payment. They take that credit card and blow it. And now they got a whack more debt. That's the Canadian way, folks. That's what we seem to want to do. Our first question, when faced with a large payment, large purchase, I should say, our first question is, what are the monthly payments? That's the first thing that we ask. And then we say, I think I can afford that. All right, sign me up. And the debt just mounts higher and higher. Seems to me that we have more personal debt across our country now than we ever have ever in our history. We are teetering just about, I think, on, on the brink. That's a sermon for another day. But getting back to this, God makes us a promise. I'm not going to ask you how many have credit card debts and car debts and this debt and so on. Now, uh, mortgage debts are debatable. Uh, some, some are for them, some are against them. But if you own a home, you probably have some equity in there. And if you're making your payments, uh, your equity is, is going up as the price of houses go up. So aside from that, you own a car, great. What'd you pay for it? It's not worth that anymore, is it? The moment you drove it off the the showroom floor there. I mean, it dropped like five to $10,000. You turn around, want to sell it back to the dealership. They're not going to pay you what you paid them for it. No way. It's not worth it to them. Not worth that to anyone. Used things are always used. These values go down, 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 but the debts stay up, up, up. So, wouldn't it be wonderful to get out of debt? God wants that. But, Number one, can we handle it? If God snapped his finger and took us out of debt right away, no more debt, no more, no more debt, what would you do with your finances? What would you do with your money? Because a lot of people would go right back into debt. They'd run out and start buying more things and they'd think that you know money is unlimited. And before you know it, they'd be right back in duck soup. So that's a problem. 
That's why I think God brings us out of debt, but he does it slowly so that we learn to manage our finances better and we don't spend, spend, spend as much. That's a very, very important lesson anyhow. But God does want to bless us. Our cup, our little cup, he does want to bring some overflow. By the way, you do this God's way and use some of that overflow to pay off your debts. So, stop the hemorrhaging of money. Ask God's help to discipline yourself to stop the hemorrhaging of money. Stop buying, buying, buying. And then start using some of the overflow of your cup to pay down and pay off. And it may take a few years. But isn't it worth it to one day be debt-free? Debt-free? My wife and I are debt-free. Never used to be that way. But for the last, I don't know how many years now, we're debt-free. We don't buy something unless we have the money to pay for it. And even then, we start thinking afterwards, okay, after we've cooled down, do we really still want it? And sometimes we say, no, we're glad we never bought it. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about our little cup and how we can get God to start to give us some overflow. Now, this is important. In the Bible, God tells us in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. And you needn't turn there. I'm going to read you a few verses, okay? I don't want to wear you out. But um, God tells us in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the secret, folks. It has to be God doing it in us and through us. Don't run out and get 17 more jobs. You're working from this job to that job and you're, you never get any sleep. You're never at home anymore. That's, that's a treadmill you don't want to get on. What you want is you want God's power in you. He expects us all to work. That's, that's normal. But not to kill ourselves in working. In Proverbs 11, verse 24, 25 there is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. That means you can be stingy and hold on to everything. What's going to happen? It tends to poverty. The principle is to be a little bit on the liberal side, the generous side. Verse 25, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Proverbs 19 and verse number 17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Proverbs 28 and verse 27, He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. And of course, there's God's promise in Malachi 3, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now, herewith saith the Lord, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, we have to be careful here because we have an internet full of prosperity preachers. Guys that are trying to do nothing but get you to give them your money. That's what they're after. And they're using Bible verses, taking them out of context. And they're trying to make them say things they don't say. 
And that is true as I'm standing here. We call them con artists or hucksters, snake oil salesmen. And some of these guys are promising you the moon. Some are even saying, God will make you a millionaire if you give everything you have to this ministry. You know, crazy stuff like that. And people fall for it. God's way is not that way. God expects us to work and God expects us to live our lives for Him. And if we will do that, God will add blessings to us. And over a period of time, we'll look back and say, look how God has blessed us. Wow, we've gone from that to where we are now. And maybe uh, from that to now, maybe isn't totally debt-free, but it's well on its way. And within the foreseeable future, you're going to be a a debt-free man, a debt-free woman. You'll be able to buy things and not go into debt. You'll be able to honor the Lord and be able to have the overflow of your cup and to rise to the challenge and to, to do great things for God. You'll be able to do that if you do it God's way. God is not in the get-rich-quick business. And that tends to be what these TV, internet hucksters are after. They're trying to make you think that it's like the lotto. Uh, give us your money. And it's like rubbing the genie's lantern and this poof, and then you're a millionaire. No. No, only the lotto people talk about that. And they say, could you use an extra few million dollars? Well, play our lotto. You know, it only costs $5, only $10, only $1, and you could be the next millionaire. And that's how they get us. And they start getting us to think, wow, why, I could do this and that, and I could help these people, and wow, that would be wonderful. Well, you follow the lives of the people who do win. Two-thirds of them, two-thirds, 66% of them, lose all their money, often their families, sometimes their own lives. It's all lost between three to five years. It's gone. And the other third, they've had their lives changed permanently. They don't have their old friends anymore. People are always after them for money, money, money. They've got to cloister themselves up like hermits or some kind of monastery or something. It's not what the TV ads make it out to be. It's a curse. It's not a blessing. And yet God will bless His people if we'll do it His way. You see the difference? And so that's my, part of my job is to teach that and show that to you. And I do it twice a year. Now you're in uh, 2 Corinthians there, are you? Turn to chapter 8. And I want you to see that this really does work. In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about um, the financial giving of some churches in Macedonia. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Notice that abounded unto the riches of their liberality, meaning they were experiencing great need and yet they were able to give so much. You say, that's an, that, that doesn't make sense. If you don't have it, how can you give it? Ah, that's the key. God gives it to us. He makes our cup to run over and then we're able to give. You see verse 3, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, They were willing of themselves. They did things that is humanly impossible in the area of giving. Say, how is that? It's because it's the Lord doing it in us and through us. 
In John chapter 7, Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit, which at that time had not yet been given. It was given later in Acts chapter 1. The Holy Spirit was given to the church. But Jesus said in Acts chapter 7 that uh, he that believeth on me, uh, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke of the Holy, the Holy Spirit, which was not yet then given. It's God in us doing the great things. How is it we can overcome bad habits? How can we overcome sin? How can we overcome lust and temptation? It's the Holy Spirit in us, coupled with our faith. Remember, that's the secret of our power. It's the Holy Spirit in us and our faith. Our faith in what God says, coupled together. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So, the just shall live by faith. Now, how do we get God to fill our cup so that we can give from the overflow? Folks, there is nothing complicated about it. It is as simple as pie. The way you get your cup to overflow is to start with where it's at. It doesn't matter how little or how much is in your cup. Remember, it's God who will bring about the overflow. So you start with where you're at. We begin the process by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, let's go back to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to take a quick look at that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 6. How do we get God to fill our cup so that we can give from the overflow? Luke, chapter 6. How do we get God to fill our cup so that we can give? This is the reason, the purpose. What do you want your cup overflowing for? So that I can give some back to the Lord and see some great things happen. How do we get God to do it? Luke chapter 6. We start with where we're at. Verse 38. Please read this out loud together with me now. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together. And running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Essentially the law of the harvest. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Here the Lord Jesus himself is telling us, Give and it shall be. You obligate God to give back to you. Now, Remember, we're not talking about going and giving to the liquor business. We're not talking about giving to the lotto and the gambling casino. We're not talking about giving to any kind of worldly thing. We're talking about giving to the Lord. You give to the Lord, God is obligated and will give that back to you. That is His promise as I stand here today. That's His promise. And it's done by faith. So, you look in your cup and you say, well, my cup isn't very full. It's only half full, a quarter full. All right, then dip in your finger and take out a drop and give it to God. You will see that God will give you the drop back. That should encourage you next time to maybe dip in two fingers. And that's usually what happens. We start small and those of us that, that are big givers and um, you, wouldn't know, you wouldn't know, no one around here talks about what they give. I know we have some big givers in the church. They didn't start that way. They started small. And they gave a little, God blessed. Oh, they gave a little more, God blessed more. Oh, this is how it works. And they're big givers today because God gives back. You sow bountifully, you'll reap 
bountifully. You start with where you're at. Don't wait till your ship come in. I got news for you. That thing sunk. That got hit by the devil's torpedo. It's never coming in. Don't be waiting for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or for that big raise that's going to put you on easy street. Don't believe in that. Don't wait for that. Do it God's way. Start with where you're at. Take a little out of your cup and give it to God. Now, there are those here that are, they know what I'm talking about. And they're experienced at taking a, you know, a handful out of their cup and giving that to God because they know God gives that back. I know that myself. Over 47 years ago is when I started proving God, taking God at His word. I wasn't even born again. I wasn't even a Christian at the time. But in the Bible, I read that if I give to God, God will give back. So I started tithing. Before I was a believer, before I was saved, over 47 years ago, and I've never to this day seen God fail me. And He's blessed it back all the time. Sometimes I would give God you know, uh, some money to meet a need. And I would just watch. And I would see sometimes God give that back to me 200%, 400%. You can't go wrong. You cannot beat God. Now again, folks, put the brakes on. We're not talking about any kind of crazy sell the farm and put it all in the offering plate. We're not talking about that. Start with where you're at. Start small if need be. Take out a little out of your cup. Give it to God. Say, God, I'm doing this for your honor and glory. And I want to see if your word is true. Because God says, prove me now, herewith saith the Lord. It means here with his promise. So you take God at his word. And Luke 6.38 is a wonderful way to do it as well. We're not talking about get-rich-quick schemes. If that's what you have in mind, this is not for you. But if you will be patient and do it God's way, he will bring you out of debt. He will put abundance into your home so that you having everything you need and more, you can abound toward every good work. Um, Oral Roberts is long dead now and he was a famous, famous um, prosperity gospel guy. Um, he's the guy who they say was one of the first to come up with the expression seed faith giving. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't heard. But what he did, actually I think he even got it from someone else, but he's the one acclaimed to have started it. But I kind of think someone else gave it to him or sold it to him or something. But he, he would turn to a, a portion of scripture that talks about soul winning. The context is in winning souls to Christ. It's, it's all about the, the, uh, uh, the sower goes forth and sows some seed and some seed fell here and some there and so on. The context is the word of God and the hearts of men. That's the context, the proper context of that. But what Oral Roberts did was he said, there's seed faith giving. You give to this ministry and God will bless it back to you 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And people fell for it. And he made millions and millions of dollars. Folks, that verse, those verses that Jesus gave us about the sower going forth to sow the seed has nothing to do with money. It has to do with people getting saved. It has nothing to do with money. Get rich quick is not of God. Get over it. He's not interested in just lumping us with a, 
a dump truck full of gold. Because just like our nine-year-old, given $5,000 cash, what's the nine-year-old going to do? There are few people that God can really trust with wealth. Just telling you that up front. There are few people. The ones he trusts with, the, the wealth with, these are the ones who know how to distribute it and use it for God's glory. They get their needs met, sure they do. But they have great joy in serving God in that ministry of giving. God's actually looking for business partners through whom he can show himself strong. Makes you wonder who the next you know, big giver would be. Uh, R.G. Letourneau. He's with the Lord now. He started with nothing, and yet he was able to give tens of millions of dollars to the Lord's work. It was God doing it through him. But R.G. Letourneau could be trusted. He didn't live the lifestyle of Donald Trump or you know one of these billionaires. He lived a very modest lifestyle. So anyhow, again, please put the brakes on. We're not talking about getting rich quick. Now, there is a whole lot other examples I could show you, but I'm out of time. So remember this. When you do it for God's glory, to serve God, you start with where you're at. Take out a little out of your cup. Give it to the Lord for His work, for His glory. And I can guarantee you, according to His promise, He'll give that back to you. Chances are He's going to give that back to you and a little more. Because you see, you can't outgive God. There's a cute story. I think I've told you this story before. I'll tell it to you again because I like it. A mother and her little boy, Johnny, they lived out in the country and they would go to the, the country general store, you know, Sam Drucker's general store. And so one day they were in there and there's little Johnny and he's, his eyeballs looking at the, the big jar of, of candy. And the, uh, the store owner there, I forget the name, Sam Drucker, whatever, he said, uh, well, ma'am, I see little Johnny's interested in uh, some candy. Oh, she said, uh, Johnny, don't, don't do that. Um, and then he said, no, it's all right. He said, in fact, he said, Johnny, why don't you reach in there and take a, take a handful of candy? And Johnny, you know, was all, hmm? oh, no, it's okay. Do it. Do it. Get a, yourself a big handful of candy. And he put his hands behind his back. His mother says, Johnny, Johnny, Mr. Drucker here says you can take some candy, so take some candy. And mm, mm, he wouldn't do it. And she apologized, and Sam Drucker says, oh, that's okay, ma'am. He took a bag, and he reached in, took a handful, and threw it in there, and gave it to him. There you go, Johnny, you've been a good boy. There, that's for you. And he was all grins and smiles, and outside the store... She asked her son, Johnny, why didn't you reach in and take a handful of candy like Mr. Drucker said you could? And he looked up at her and says, Mommy, Mr. Drucker got a bigger hand than me. <laughs> so he wasn't so dumb. God has a bigger hand than you. And you reach into your cup and give him something. Well, God's going to reach into his cup and he's got a bigger hand. And he's going to give it back to you. Folks, my time is up, but listen, before we finish, I need to tell you about two other cups, or actually they're more like bowls, if you will. And I have to tell you this. It's the bowl of God's judgment, 
and the bowl of God's mercy. You see, over the head of every man, woman, or young person who is not born again is a bowl of God's judgment. That judgment is filled with the wrath of God on their sins. All of their bad thoughts, their bad words, their lies, the things they've taken that don't belong to them, their broken promises, their bitterness, their angers, and so on. Because of all of that, sitting over top of their head, a bowl of God's judgment. And that judgment is full to the brim. And that judgment will pour all over them the moment they die. When will they die? Only God knows. It's only God's mercy that they're still alive today. And I don't know if there's anyone here today who's not yet born again. It's possible there may be a young person or a man or woman who has never received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Meaning this, the only way I can get to heaven is through Jesus, not through the pastor, the priest, or the pope. It's only through Jesus, not through my good works, not through my baptism or my catechisms or none of that. It's only through the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. But the wrath of God abideth upon him. So this first bowl of judgment is very important. And I was an 18-year-old youth when I finally understood this bowl sitting over top of my head that could empty at any minute. God is loving and long-suffering and compassionate and He will wait and give us all the time He can. But one day when we die, and that could be when you're 100, when you're 90, when you're 80, when you're 70, when you're 60, when you're 50, when you're 40, when you're 30, when you're 20, when you're 10, or when you're 9. But that day you die is the day that bowl is tipped over on your head. You cannot ever go to heaven. You can only be separated from God in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. But there's a second bowl. And that bowl is the bowl of God's mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. And it comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, shed His blood. I sort of like to think that second bowl is filled with the blood of the Lamb. And when a man, woman, or young person repents of their sin and says to the Lord Jesus, I am sorry, I'm a sinner. I am the sinner you died for. If you don't save me, I'm going to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Lord Jesus, save me. Wash me clean in your blood. Be my Lord and my Savior. That bowl is tipped. And they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're made clean. All their sin is gone. God only sees now the righteousness of Jesus Christ on that individual. Just because your husband's saved, ma'am, doesn't mean that you can get to heaven. Sir, just because your wife is saved doesn't mean that you can get to heaven. Mom and dad, just because you're saved doesn't mean your children automatically get to go to heaven. You see, each and every one of us must make an individual decision for Jesus Christ. If you're here today, or if you're watching online, and you've never yet understood 
Wow, you've offended an almighty God because of your sin. You need to get that right. You need to ask Jesus to forgive your sins and come into your heart and be your Savior. So how will I know it happens? Well, usually the way you know is there's going to be changes in your life. That Holy Spirit I spoke of earlier is going to come in you. Now all of a sudden where you used to say bad words and foul language and cursing, now you don't want to do that anymore. Before you didn't have much interest in the Bible, now you got an interest in this book. You didn't have too much thought about heaven, now you're thinking about heaven. There are changes evident in your life when Jesus comes into your heart. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? We're going to have a word of prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.